Howdy, y'all. This episode of South of Scruffy Podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Cosmetic. Cosmetic CBD-infused skincare products help ease aches, pains, inflammation, and arthritis by using their proprietary topical CBD formulas. Cosmetics Hemp Pain Cream is a great one to start with. Why? Because it's infused with Cosmetics patented CBD formula, which naturally fights inflammation in achy muscles and joints. Rub it deep into an achy muscle and feel it set itself free. Each bottle of Cosmetics Hemp Pain Cream is infused with 400 milligrams of that proprietary CBD solution. You can get 20% off of your cosmetic order by using promo code SOS20 at checkout at Cosmetics Online Store. Be kind to your skin and go to Cosmedicated.com. That's C-A-U-S-E, Medicated.com. Do it. Let's do the podcast now. Welcome in, guys. South of Scruffy Podcast. My name is Ben Fields. I host this podcast every week. No end in sight. If you're new around here, I do these chats to uh, to help introduce you in a deep way to the uh, great artists of Knoxville. And uh, today I have a different kind of artist on the show. I have a bicycle artist, a nonprofit artist. Is that a stretch? I've got Mitchell Cannell on the show today. Uh, I would venture to say that Mitchell has put more people in the saddle of their first bicycle in the last four years than probably anybody in town. Uh, he did that with the uh, nonprofit Dream Bikes, which you may have heard of. Uh, but Dream Bikes is gone uh, nationally. It's it's no fault of Mitchell's. So Mitchell has been working for the last year or so on a, a nonprofit of his own that does something similar to what Dream Bikes does. And it just opened last weekend. If you haven't guessed yet, Mitchell is the executive director of Two Bikes a new nonprofit in Knoxville that opened on Saturday, and I hear it was a great celebration. So what Two Bikes does is they take donated bicycles, they refurbish them, and then they sell them back to the public. And then with every bike that they sell to the public, they donate a bicycle to a nonprofit or somebody in need. So Two Bikes is all about getting more people on bicycles and helping the community at the same time. It's brilliant. I'm excited to see this thing go. Uh, there's a lot more to what Two Bikes does, but I'll let Mitchell explain that to you. Uh, Mitchell also shared uh, some pretty incredible stories about his cross-country bike trips and some orienteering trips, backpacking kind of stuff, outdoorsy stuff. Uh, He dropped some knowledge about some hidden gems of the Knoxville bike scene. And uh, he even shared a little story about a buddy losing his face in a bicycle accident. It was a pleasure to have him. Ladies and gentlemen, please make welcome Mitchell Cannell. We're doing the podcast. Dude, I'm uh, I'm glad to meet you. Thanks for thanks for coming to do this. Yeah, man, happy to do it. Yeah, I've uh, I've known about your stuff for a while. I knew about Dream Bikes. I guess that's that uh, season is is gone and moving on to the next thing. But what was all? What's that? How did it all start? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Dream Bikes started about 13 years ago. It started in Wisconsin. Um. This guy, John Burke, uh, was in a meeting with an executive at the Boys and Girls Club and asked how he could help. And the executive at the Boys and Girls Club said that they had kids with a ton of opportunities, that there was a lot of kind of after school training. Um, The Boys and Girls Clubs were providing awesome 
support, but there was really difficult to get a job hmm. um, for the youth that were going through their program. And uh, yeah, fast forward, uh, you know, more than a decade and uh, Dream Bikes Knoxville was opening up. Uh, we provided youth workforce development program. So we had five to 10 kids that we were employing at a given time and taught them how to work on bikes and how to work as sales associates. And uh, it was a ton of fun. I uh, still am in touch with a lot of the kids that we worked with there. Really? So it was super fun. Yeah. So where did they come from? Boys and girls clubs and things like that? Yeah, almost all of our youth came from the youth work for, oh, I'm sorry, the youth force program uh, at the Boys and Girls Club in North okay. Knoxville. Okay. And and so these kids came to work for you and they would get a job. They'd make some money while they were doing this or were they just learning a skill? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or uh, both? Both, both. Um, so they're always paid. Um, awesome. Yeah. And it was super fun. So we ran that program from the very beginning of 2017 to the very end of 2020. Um, and it was an amazing opportunity. And I went in with a ton of experience in uh, kind of the bike shop uh, department. I had been working at shops since I was 15. So it was like mm. at that point about a decade. Um, but not a lot of experience uh, managing a nonprofit. Yeah. Um, so it was really cool. We got to work with um, the Alliance for Better Nonprofits who were kind of at the end of our block. Um, and they kind of showed us the ropes of how to manage, um, a nonprofit and got to learn so much through that experience. Um, is that Chrissy? No. Um, so I know Chris who works there. Um, I know they, I think they have like a staff of like eight people. What do they do? Yeah. So they are, they're super meta. Um, they're a nonprofit (laughs) that is, uh, designed to help, uh, optimize other nonprofits. So you guys were new to the nonprofit game in 2017. Exactly. So you had uh, a partner. Yeah. 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 My friend, uh, Preston Flaherty had just moved to Knoxville, um, from Wyoming. He was, uh, I think like a fly fishing guide and, uh, was really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You should have him on the podcast. He's (laughs) always doing something super cool. Uh, he was also like a snowmobile instructor for a long time. Guys got wild stories. Um, so yeah, Preston and I opened it up. Really young, really excited, excited to work with kids, uh, excited to work on bikes. But we're very green, shall we say. We had a lot to learn in the beginning. Um, so, yeah, um, we did that for four years. Um, we're able to refurbish more than 2,000 uh, bikes and give them back to the community either for free or at a super affordable cost. Um, the average price of a bike there was $250, which is kind of stratospherically lower than what you get in any other mm. bike shop. Um we were kind of functioned like a goodwill, um, but yeah. for really nice used refurbished bicycles. It's awesome. Yeah. And then, so did the kids, did the kids, ha- they had an opportunity to work there as long as they wanted to. But they also have a trade, right? After they leave. Yeah. They can go do this for the rest of their life if they want. Yeah. We had a uh, youth that went through the program and ended up working um, in other bike shops. We had uh, a couple of youth. We had one youth who ended up uh, working as a mechanic in the military um, they were using, um, you know, the skills that they developed at Dream Bikes to apply to a career. You know, it was it was super rewarding work. It was super fun. Um, but it was also incredibly challenging. Um, we had a real, you know, a shoestring budget like so many nonprofits do. And there were two of us. And we realized that every day we went to work, we had so many different hats that we had to wear. Mm. We had to go in. We had to make sure that there were enough bikes uh, on the sales floor or to be refurbished. Uh, we had to be sales associates, bike mechanics, and social workers every day. Mm. Um, and it was really enriching and rewarding work, but it also, uh, was, we definitely 
both burned out doing it. Um, it was really incredibly challenging. Um, so we did it for four years. Um, it was an awesome success. We learned a ton. Um, and then we had the opportunity um, when Dream Bikes decided to close um, on a national level. So mm. they were uh, at the most seven locations um, that we were doing pretty well. Um, we all, we got some, uh, the nonprofit in general was doing well. We still had some funds in the bank at the end. Um, but for kind of what ended up being kind of bureaucratic reasons uh, needed to close. Yeah. Um, but it was this amazing opportunity where the nonprofit closed, but then they decided that if I let them know that we were interested in opening a new nonprofit in Knoxville um, and they uh, decided that they were willing to donate all of our bike racks, all of our tools and some money, um, excuse me, to get started with the new nonprofit. So we had a little a little bit of cash and a lot of tools and a lot of unrefurbished bikes. And uh, that was the beginning <clears throat> of two bikes. So Dream Dream Bikes donated that stuff? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, That's absolutely. great. They were going defunct and said, here's somebody who can use it as a leg up to start something new. Exactly. Cool. So where'd, where'd the name two bikes come from? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so <laughs> the name uh, kind of was the first thing that we came up with. The premise of the nonprofit is that for every two bikes that we have donated and refurbished, we're going to sell one at an affordable cost on our sales floor. And then the second one, we're going to donate back to the community for mm. free. So it's basically like a buy one, give one program for bicycles. Yeah. Like Tom's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like Tom's. <clears throat> Something um, like that. That's great, man. So where do you find where do you find a home for these bikes that you're donating? Yeah, absolutely. So we've had a lot of success working with other local nonprofits. Um, the Boys and Girls Club, we have a great mm. relationship with them. So if we're going to give away kids' bikes, uh, we'll kind of use a different nonprofit like the Boys and Girls Club as a conduit. We'll let them know, hey, we've got 50 or 75 kids' bikes that we're looking to give away around this age group. And then they'll, uh, th- whatever means they feel fit, select the kids that get the bikes. Um, nice. And then we give them away. That's great. So is it going to be, is two bikes a similar um, business model to Dream Bikes? Same business model? A little different? Yeah, it's really similar. We take uh, bikes that are used and donated from community members. You can just come to our storefront when we're open. We're at 118 South Central. You know where Good Golly Tamale is? Yeah. If you're looking at Good Golly Tamale, we're two doors down to the right. Okay. You can't miss us. Our uh, facade is bright blue. That's prime real estate, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're really, we're really happy. Um, we're friends. Uh, I used to play ping pong uh, at Barley's. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to flex. I'm very good at ping pong. <laughs> um, and there's a crew. Ping pong's the kind of thing where everyone says that they're good. Yeah. And then you obliterate them. Right. And it's a little awkward. Uh, and I had this conversation uh, with this guy who came into Dream Bikes with Birkenstocks on. And we had a ping pong table there and he was like, oh, did you know play? And I was like, yeah, here we go. Let's play. And he destroyed me. He really? was so good. And uh, so then, but you know, I kept up. I won one of the three games. <laughs> um, and he was like, oh, you should come play ping pong at Barley's. Me and some of my friends were in a band and uh, we used to tour with the ping pong table. And they're serious. <laughs> like they're good. <laughs> um, so I was like. Yes, these are my people. Finally, some uh, people that are good at ping pong. And I went over there and played with them and we would hang out. And it ended up that the guy in the Birkenstocks was uh, Thomas Boyd. Uh, huh? Yeah, who's Randy Boyd's son and um, is a real estate developer in the Old City. Um, yeah, he, he r- runs Barley's, right? And did the Old City wine bar thing and yeah. Rebel Kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. And Ono Fiasco was the name of his uh 
band, I believe. Is that right? I don't want to go on record saying that that is or is not the name because I don't know. <laughs> and maybe I should. But I have no idea what his band's <laughs> name is. But I do know that they once toured with Alien Ant Farm, which is funny to me. Yeah. Alien Ant Farm had a moment. They did had a moment. It was a long time ago. Yeah. So so that's so he's your landlord in the old city now? Yeah, absolutely. Great. Um so started hanging out with Thomas um and uh built a relationship with him and told him, pitched him the idea of the new nonprofit and asked if he wanted to be on the board. He gave us two big thumbs up. He was really excited about it. And I asked him if he I didn't even really at that point know that he was doing a lot of development stuff in the old scene. He's like, mm. Oh man, yeah, we're looking for a location. Do you know of anything? He was like, oh, yeah, come check this out. And uh, had like a key to unlock like the little lock on a piece of plywood that's in <laughs> front of half of the old armadas. And it was like as gnarly as you can imagine it looked. It like kind of looked like that. It had uh, been vacant for like I think it was seven or eight years. Well, except no, 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 for the squatters. <laughs> maybe except for the, well, they, they, the plywood was locked. Um I don't know. Maybe it was like five years whenever Armada closed. But gotcha. yeah. Um, and they, uh, for, you know, X, Y, and Z reasons, had uh, never remodeled it. And he was like, hey, if you, I've been wanting to, uh, you know, turn this into a functioning store again. Mm. If you guys would be interested in this space, uh, it's going to take some work. Um, but he was willing to work with us on it. And uh, that was about a year ago. Um, so we're actually going to move Dream Bikes there. Um and then as they were building out, um, Dream Bikes building the done. space for Dream Bikes, Dream Bikes was like, we're done. But then we had this like sick piece of real estate, this amazing storefront. And that's when like, when we got the call that Dream Bikes is going to close, I, it was like, go, 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 yeah. go. I was like, I cannot go talk to Thomas and tell him that we can't have something right. in the space. Yeah. So it was like two weeks later and I incorporated the nonprofit, had the name, wrote the business model. It was like. Uh, if I wore glasses, it would be like me on the computer with the trope, like the trope in movies of like typing yeah. really fast. And you see it in the reflection yeah. of my glasses scrolling by. Uh, that's what it felt like for like a month. And so then, yeah, pitched the idea to Thomas. He was into it. He was, uh, yeah, totally happy to kind of pivot to the new nonprofit. And if you look the, you know, like when the, they're doing a build out, there's like that green sheet. That says the permitting information. Yeah. Like ours still says dream bikes. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, that seems fine. Let's close. Well, it seems like a good uh a good thing for for Thomas and his family to get behind because they help a lot with the with the communities absolutely you know, around um, here, especially those that are seemingly underserved. Absolutely. Um yeah, they have a, a amazing foundation. Um the Boyd family does a ton of cool stuff. Um yeah, I, I really can't speak highly enough of them. They've yeah. been incredibly supportive of Dream Bikes and now of Two Bikes. Um and it's just uh they've done so much of the cool stuff in the old city. Yeah. Um anytime you have a beautiful neighborhood like that, you know, you're kind of like always waiting, like, okay, when is it gonna be Starbucks? When is it gonna be Chipotle? And I mean I like Chipotle burritos or whatever, yeah. but you know, you won't like Knoxville is so cool. And there's so many of these amazing small yeah. local businesses. And for, I think a lot of the work of, uh, some, um, smart developers, like David Dewhurst, John Clark, John Clark and the Boyds. Um, we have a lot of, uh, rich, uh, small businesses in that neighborhood and I'm yeah. super thankful of it. Absolutely. Yeah. So the old space that dream bikes was in was the CrossFit uh, spot right there on central yeah. with the mural on it. Rocky the, top CrossFit. Yeah. Yeah. The, where the Rocky top CrossFit was. <laughs> That's a lot of square footage. 
7,000 square feet or something like that, right? Wow, this guy does research. Well, uh, we looked at it f- to move our production company there. I think it was a little more. It was like 6,400 feet. Is it? Um, yeah, man, that place was huge. It's kind of a curse. It was so big. Yeah. Um, so how are you going to squeeze all that? And I assume it's it's got to be smaller if it's on that block. It is central. smaller. So we have both stories. Um, our ah. entire upstairs is all storage. Um, and we use it. We we have, uh, we have work with volunteers on refurbishing bikes that we'll give away. So we kind of have a volunteer spot that we're building out upstairs. Um, What's that? Vol- what do you mean volunteer spot? So they, they come in, you tr- they just work to help you refurbish the bikes? People from the community? Yeah, absolutely. So okay. like around Christmas. Um, and remember, we're opening uh, this upcoming Saturday. So uh, yeah we're still figuring it all out. You, um, I think you'll be open by the time this episode drops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so come on by 118 South Central. Yeah. 10 to 4, uh, Tuesday to Friday. 10 to 6, Tuesday to Friday. 10 to 4, Saturday. Okay. Um, Closed on Sunday, Monday. Closed on Sunday, Monday, so we can go ride bikes. Yeah. Yeah. Dig it, dude. <laughs> it's going to be so great. But yeah, I'm sorry. Um, so around Christmas, uh, we'll do massive bike giveaways and we just need some uh, horsepower to go through, you know, 100, 200, 300 bikes. So we'll have an area upstairs uh, where volunteers can come in and help us go through and refurbish bicycles. I want to do that. Yeah, can I, you should. Can I volunteer? Yeah. Um, I, I d- believe it or not, now this is completely serendipitous. I I, I uh, did some work on my bikes today. The first time I've ever put new uh, actual new tires and, and tubes on my own bikes. I usually just drop it off somewhere and let them do it. But uh Amazing. I love that. I was inspired by you coming by, maybe. I don't know, like <laughs> secretly. Yeah. Well, uh, one of the things we're really excited about offering at Two Bikes are uh, bike education classes. Perfect. Um, so they'll all be on a sliding scale. You can come in. Mm. We're going to limit them, uh, I think, to eight people initially. Um, so it's COVID compliant. We'll all be wearing masks. But um, yeah, you can come by and we'll teach you how to do basic drivetrain maintenance, which is your gears, how to change a flat tire, basic kind of uh, roadside maintenance, and then also some kind of more sophisticated, more, uh, kind of complex stuff like, uh, like wheel truing. Um, and then some fun stuff. Uh, once you get the hang of it, it's not particularly hard. Um, really the tricky part is that you have to make your wheel round on two axes. Uh, so if you want to pull your wheel to the right, uh, you are have to tighten that uh, nipple, which is going to tighten that spoke. But then it also moves your wheel up. So then if you move it really far in one direction, you start moving it on the second axis. Yeah. Um, but once you figure it out, you feel like a total wizard. I bet. Yeah, it's, it's very fun. Also, <laughs> building wheels is incredibly fun. If you just take all the raw parts, your hub, your rim, your spokes, your nipples, and put it all together and balance your wheel, you take these kind of very weak objects, like a spoke, you know, mm-hmm. you can just like bend it super floppy. Uh, and then turn into this incredibly strong object. It's super cool. There's this, man, I wish I remembered the name of it. It's in Greenville, South Carolina. And it's this place that makes wheels for uh, racing bikes or something like that. And Sweet. went and watched this dude do it one day. And I was like, oh, this guy's a, it's like, it's like clock, like working on an actual clock. Yeah. Like yeah, it, yeah. it's just exactly. such fine little, little work. And you wouldn't know that so much goes into it. Yeah. It's like super high performance race wheels. It's, yeah. There's a, amazing. there's a company in town that does that called Knox composites. Really? Uh, my friend Josiah works there. Uh, hey Josiah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so they manufacture custom or, you know, they design uh, their own custom carbon rims and then they build up these like obscenely nice uh, wheel sets that mm. people put on uh, their, you know, racing bikes or their downhill bikes or whatever. 
Wow. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to, um, so these, these weekend classes that you guys are going to do the training yeah, type absolutely. deals, absolutely. I assume they're on weekends. Yeah. 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 So eight people. And then you can come and learn all these little things. Yeah. And you said sliding scale. So that's like as much as you want to give. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if, if you want to come and not pay anything, that's that's totally okay. Sure. Um, but also if you want to support the nonprofit and make a donation, yeah. uh, we love that too. That's how we keep our lights on. That's awesome. So when you were uh, when you were building two bikes and, and getting this, you'd had four years in um, nonprofit at this time. Do you have yeah. to write grants and all that stuff to get it all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I bet that's tough. I took a grant writing cl- class at the Alliance for Better Nonprofits, and and I read I read this totally corny like four hundred or five hundred page book called like the only grant writing book you'll ever need or something like that. That uh, sounds so terribly boring. Uh, it wasn't. I was. Oh, dude, it's it's so boring. It's so <laughs> boring. But I was so stoked at the time because I was like, when you start running out of money, you're, the stoke for how to make money, it skyrockets. Yeah, I'm sure. so I was like, I was amped to read that book. And then uh, like finish it, uh, wrote a grant for the Aslan Foundation, a cool local uh, foundation. And they gave us money in exchange for the book that I read basically and was like, oh, it works. <laughs> <laughs> Those kind of like uh, Preston Flaherty was always really good at this. Um, he was like, we're a nonprofit. We need to fundraise so we don't run out of money. And I was like, yeah, cool. How do you do that? He was like, I don't know. Let's sell beers. And I was like, okay. He was like, beers and gears. That's our fundraiser. We'll sell barbecue and beers and people will buy tickets. And I was like, dude, you're crazy. Like, of course that sounds like about right. But like in a way that I'm totally incapable of doing, like doesn't, read all the stuff doesn't like kind of think about it for a year it was like concept a month later you're doing razor. gears and beers yeah gears and beers did it work man. yeah it worked uh it was it was great i mean it was a little bumpy yeah because we had no idea what we were doing but yeah that's like one of the things that working with preston really taught me is was like just go for it like stop thinking just go do it and like the first one will maybe be terrible but the fifth one will be really good um is he with you on the new venture so he's not he is really into uh aquaponic agriculture is that yeah. i say that right i don't sure. know he's really into growing cbd that's nice. like that's his thing so he's working with a local cbd company he is very much like a wyoming guy he yeah. uh he wants to like work with his hands and was never he was never like a super into bikes um, like he rode bikes around, you know, uh, as like a practical object, but it's not like his life passion in the way that it is for a lot of bike people, including myself. So I think that he loved the opportunity to work at dream bikes, but he was also like, eh, this isn't really my thing. Like bikes is not the thing that I'm going to spend the rest of mm-hmm. my life doing where I like started working at a bike shop when I was 15 and I was like, bikes are punk rock. This is it. Yeah. <laughs> I am done. Yeah. And then, so yeah. is it just you then? Uh, it's and- me and two other guys. Okay. Uh, so Matt Zing um, is kind of my right-hand man. Uh, he is in charge of all the operations. So he kind of takes care of all of the downstairs stuff. Mm. So he makes sure that we have the products in stock that we need to refurbish all the bikes, that we've got enough bikes on the sales floor, uh, kind of just all of the ops stuff. And then uh, we just brought on, I think, maybe like 10, to go, 10 days ago, we hired a third guy, Travis Jolly, who runs our service department. So okay. if you brought in your bike, you're like, Dude, I installed these uh, tires, but they're totally on backwards. Yeah. Just fix it for me. That'll um, probably happen. <laughs> no, I have no, I have a lot of faith in you. Especially once you take one of our classes, you'll oh, definitely yeah. nail it. Which I, yeah. um, but uh, so, so you guys will have a service department for 
civilians to bring their bikes to as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. absolutely. So uh, we provide, uh, you know, we're all about trying to reduce the barrier to entry, getting people on bikes. Mm. If you absolutely can't afford a bike, we'll give you one. Um, now, if you come into our store and like say, give me a bike, it's, that's not exactly how it works. Right. We use, we try and uh, kind of use other nonprofits to donate them back to the community. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you've got some money and are interested in starting you know, cycling, you can come in and we'll sell you an affordable bike that's super useful, super practical, super fun and comfortable to ride in an unintimidating way. Mm. Um, almost everyone that buys a bike from us, it's their first bike that they've ridden as an adult or they haven't been on bikes for a long time. We're all about like offering friendly service in an unintimidating environment. Gotcha. And if you want to learn more, if you're intimidated because you don't know how to work on your bike, we want to help you do that, too, by offering public classes. We also offer a public workstation. So if you already know Mm. how to work on your bike but don't have enough money or just you don't want to take it to a bike shop, you can come to our space and we will offer you all the tools you need to tune up your own bike for free. That's awesome. Dude, it's fun stuff. We're all about just getting people on bikes. That's great. So this area is apparently a hotspot for mountain biking. Yeah. Well, how'd that, how'd that happen? Where did that come from? It seems like it's been in the making for like 10 years. Yeah. There's, um, so first, uh, it's the, you know, the work of, uh, tons of people who have been working hard to turn it into a mountain biking Mecca for a long time. Uh, there's a guy who's the president of our board, um, John Clark, um, incredibly nice guy, uh, who started the bike zoo. Um, mm. uh, I when like right when he, I think he was like a senior in college. Oh wow! Uh, Is that in Western Plaza or was that the one over by? It's Earth like down Fair? Kingston Pike. That's Beard and Bike and Trail. Okay. Uh, it's a little bit farther down Kingston. It's like on your left. Okay. Um, and then when he was starting the bike suit, they were starting to cut trails over at like Icy King. Uh, it was him. This guy Jay was cutting trails back there, um, and a couple of other guys. Was it the AMBC or? So it's the beginning. Uh, Appalachian Mountain Biking Club. Appalachian Mountain Bike Club. So uh, John Clark, I believe, was one of the co-founders of AMBC. Okay. Um, and then there, there's kind of this group of superheroes that had the foresight. Um, Matt Kellogg, uh, the executive director of AMBC now. Um, Brian Hahn, or Brian Han. I think it's Brian Hahn. I've heard it said both ways. I, I know. Sorry, Brian. <laughs> uh, Brian, Mary Beth, yeah. um, Wes. I, can't, I don't remember Wes's last name. That just, they had the vision. You know, they saw this, and again, uh, and I'm sure there's 20 other people who did amazing work. Yeah. Um, But off the top of my head, those are some of the uh, folks that I know. Well, Brian and Mary Beth put their money where their mouth was, right? And like, truly. Gave their property? Yeah, a massive amount of property that turned into... um, The urban wilderness? A big section of the urban wilderness, the trails, uh, trans farms over there in ACD. A lot of the like early, really fun uh, trails are on Brian and Mary Beth's property. But yeah, I mean, I think that they just saw kind of this uh, network of parks that were being underutilized mm-hmm. and came to the city and were like, uh, hey, we should, if like, let us build trails on these parks and they will start being used. And, you know, uh, the work over the past 30 years and a lot of foresight and a lot of, you know, digging, now we have something like more than a hundred miles of mountain bike trails, like in the city. Yeah. I live, uh, on Farragut Avenue, uh, and I can walk from my backyard to, uh, Sharps Ridge. I can connect to Lincoln trail. And like, basically in my backyard, I have like, what, like six or eight miles of trails that Amazing. are, I have a downhill trail in my backyard. Like the city's so <laughs> rad. Like it's insane. 
<laughs> well, then the the Bell Helmets grant, right? Yeah. So uh, that was a big push. Yeah, and I think it really elevated the city to like a national level. Man, did you watch that when it was happening? Yeah, that was so insane. Yes. Like it was like I don't I don't remember the, uh, the other cities, but it was like Knoxville. It felt like, and it was like, like Portland, Oregon, Portland, Oregon, <laughs> and like these huge cities. Yeah. And then I remember watching the tallies come up, and it was like Portland, Oregon, six thousand votes. Yeah, Knoxville, one hundred thousand. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> oh my god! Like they worked so hard. Do you remember they had like the the Didn't car? they have like the limo on yes. Gay Street, like hanging from a crane yeah. that said like AMVC on it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how th- that like group of people has been able to like impact such meaningful change in the community. Yeah. Like they just seem like a bottomless wealth of passion and like yeah. try hard. But like, thank you so much for everyone that contributes. And now uh, the new uh, president of AMVC, Aaron Donovan, is doing uh, super cool work. Uh, increasing um, kind of accessibility to the mountain bike community. Nice. Building, uh, they just built this adaptive trail on Sharps Ridge. Have you seen that? Um, so it's basically a trail that you can use this style of a bike called an adaptive bike um, where you can like pedal with your hands. You usually yeah. have like two wheels in the back or two wheels in the front. Um, so it's like uh, basically, I don't know quite exactly the right verbiage, um, but you know, just massively expanding uh the type of people that can ride a mountain bike um so huge shout out to Erin she's doing incredible work no doubt yeah so with that money from the bell grant is that where the devil's racetrack uh came from yeah exactly so did the, AMBC build that or did bell bring in their own contractors or um oh man so i think contour trails designs did it but i might be wrong okay. um i don't want to go on record saying who built yeah, yeah, it yeah. but that's fine uh Contour Trail Designs has done a ton of the really cool stuff uh, in Knoxville. A lot of the like cool, more modern machine built trails um, they've been doing and they're doing an amazing job doing it. But certainly AMBC played a major, major part in uh, the development of Baker Creek as an area. And yeah, uh, Devil's Racetrack was, uh, you know, a double black diamond trail that we have basically all in our backyard. It's so crazy. Have you ever seen the YouTube channel like Seth's Bike Hacks? No. He's got like, 2 million followers or something like that, you know, massively famous, um, YouTuber. And he'll just be like cruising by on his YouTube. And he's like writing the trail that I was writing yesterday. And it's like, you know, has 3 million, 4 million views or whatever. And it's like, I don't have 4 million views, but I definitely know exactly what that trail feels like. Cause I was there six hours ago. Like, so he's a local dude. You no, know, not no, even he just he's comes here to ride North the best Carolina. of the best. Yeah. Which is us. Like, yeah. don't, I mean, I don't want to be uh, kind of exclusive. We have an amazing community, an amazing space. And I want everyone to enjoy what's amazing about Knoxville. But I mean, for being a small town, we pack a punch, man. It's yeah. a cool place. I agree 100. percent And I wonder if uh, I wonder if we're going to catch some spillover from Nashville as they start to burst at the seams. Yeah, I can't say anything because I'm from Nashville. Can't. But I moved here in 2011, so. Okay. Uh, so I think it counts. there you go. Where'd you, where'd you grow up? Nashville proper? Yeah. Nashville proper. Uh, okay. I went to Hillsborough high school, which is okay. like kind of in the green Hills area. Public? Yeah. It's public, public school. Wow. Uh, Mary Catherine Bradshaw, shout out. She ran the IB program that I was a part of. Loved it. Uh, yeah. Loved going to Hillsborough. Loved being from Nashville. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a different city uh, than it was when I grew up there. Um, I bet you don't even recognize it now. I definitely don't recognize the skyline, but do you see like, uh, I, 
what it wasn't uh, like the exit in just went up for sale really yeah yeah, yeah. that doesn't sa- seem right but they're keeping it a venue okay yeah, yeah that's yeah. good but i was like oh man or maybe it was the end but i think it was the exit in that was for sale really it's like that's a different it's a different city i think oh, i've been oh. kicked out of that place twice what shows <laughs> was it galactic in 2003 i think was there and then maybe uh like a traveling Macquarie's gig that you did some else. That might've been 12th and Porter. That was 12th and Porter. <laughs> did you, have you ever been to Brown's Diner? No. Uh, so Brown's Diner used to be my favorite establishment in Nashville. It was like a, basically a trailer in the middle of Hillsborough village. And you could go there. They only had Budweiser on tap, not Bud Light, Budweiser. Bud heavy, baby. Bud heavy, favorite beer, incredible <laughs> beverage, an incredible beverage. Um, and yeah, you could get like, a bowl of chili with Fritos in it for like three fifty. It's perfect. And it just closed. Really? So sad. Yeah. And someone, they, I haven't they been building three houses on it. Tall and skinnies. Three, <laughs> dude, 40. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so you, so did you get into to bike riding there? Yeah, absolutely. So and then bike shopping when you were 15, working yeah, in the bike so, shop. So it was like, um, I have an identical twin. Uh, he still lives in, Still lives in Nashville. He's a nice. luthier. He like builds and restores guitars. Uh, a luthier? Name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, what, what? I don't know what that means. He builds guitars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the word. I hope I'm saying it right. Can I fact check that? S- Sam, is that right? right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think we were middle school, early high school. And my brother started like um, running to his like, you know, girlfriend's house. Mm-hmm. And it was like very, really in, very inefficient. It like took him forever. Yeah. Um, and then he like found my mom's old like hybrid bike. Yeah. And then was like started riding his bike to her house. And it was like, he could go way farther and get, get there way faster. And not be as sweaty when he got there. Exactly. Yeah. And then I was, uh, we, we were like totally into it at that point. Like we were doing, we were like rock climbing a bunch and we're uh, just like into doing outdoorsy stuff. Uh, so I was like, oh man, I need to get into bikes. My brother, my twins into bikes. Like I got to catch up. Uh, but I didn't like have a great bike to ride at that point. And this shop in Nashville had just opened up called Halcyon. Hmm. Um, and Halcyon on the back of the shop, they had three work stands and they had like a bin of tools and then just like a place where you could clamp your bike to the wall, which is huge. Cause you got to If you can get your wheels off the ground, bikes are way easier to work on. Mm-hmm. So you could literally go over there, get your wheels off the ground and work on the, your bike and pester them and ask them for help. And then they would be really mad at you because they're trying to do their job. Right. Uh, and then trying you to run a business here, trying to run a business. And you'd be <laughs> like, but please help me. And then they were so incredibly nice. Uh, and I did that. Like I would go to school, bike to the bike shop and work on my bike every day really yeah like every single day just to get some more performance out of it or just to figure it out figure out how it works you like sam you like to take the remote control apart and put yeah, it back together exactly is that your exactly is that your archetype uh i mean the put it back together part was the harder part for yeah. sure um but yeah i just loved tinkering with stuff and bikes it's all right there uh you know it's not like a fixing a lawnmower mm-hmm. uh or you got to take just, this off to get to that part. And then it's like, okay, I've got some bolts left over. Exactly. Where do they go? Maybe like a lawnmower is not a great example because lawnmowers are like simple engines are not so tough. But maybe it's not like a car, which is like seemingly very complex. Like my like little middle school or high school brain was like, I can see what's going on here. And I was intrigued because I wasn't very mechanically inclined. I didn't done a bunch of stuff like that. And bikes were like my gateway to fixing stuff. Um, and then I was just super into it. Yeah, I did that for years. 
I literally started sweeping the floors of that bike shop to try and get discounts on parts. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, I think that uh, once I was like applying for a different bike shop job, I was just talking to Andrew, uh, who opened the shop and still runs it. And he was like, oh, yeah, dude, you can say you worked here. Like, I'll I'll second that. And like, you can put me down as a reference, which is barely true. Absolutely <laughs> barely true. Um, and that was it for me. It worked. Um, yeah, it worked. And then at the same time, Halcyon had partnered with the Oasis Center in Nashville, which is still uh, an amazing nonprofit that's still operating. Operating. Um, so they do the bicycle workshop where they work with, at that time, they were working with middle schoolers, teaching them how to refurbish bikes. This starts to sound familiar. It does. Uh, sounds very familiar. Yeah. Teach middle schoolers how to refurbish bikes. And at the end of the program, if you refurbish your bike, you got it and you could ride it around. And then they would take all the middle schoolers on a bike ride and you'd all ride to Sonic and get ice cream. And that was the end. Oh. And I was like, this is the business. Like, this is what I do now. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Stephanie, um, who is, still works at Halcyon, uh, was we would bike over there together and like go work with middle schoolers. And I was I mean, I was sold. I was like, this is amazing because I had that experience. I was like this little kid that, uh, you know, would go to Halcyon and they would teach me how to work on a bike. And it like it totally changed my life. And I was like, whoa, look, fast forward for three or four years. And now I can do that to, to these other like kids. And I was totally sold. So then I went to UT, got a degree in environmental science, managed the bike shop on campus where we did similar work. Uh, it's called the UT Outdoors program. And somebody could come in and they could pay us to work on their bike. Or if they stood there and listened, we would explain to them how to fix it themselves. Um, so did that all the way through college, graduated hiked the AT, came back and saw a flyer. I was working at REI at the time in the bike shop there and saw a flyer for Dream Bikes. It was like new nonprofit bike shop to help kids. And I called the phone number. It was at like 307, which I didn't know where it was. It was Wyoming. And uh, Preston, he just answered the phone and was like, oh, this is Preston. And I was like, is this Dream Bikes? And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Dream Bikes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was like, hey, man, just saw this flyer like, I'm really passionate about what you're doing. Like, let's meet up. And uh, we went to Gagali Tamale, one of my favorite restaurants in uh, Knoxville. Matt Miller. Hello. Yeah. Uh, and talked to him for like five minutes, explained to him my background and kind of what I was passionate about. And he was like, you're hired. When can you start? Like tomorrow would be best. And I was like, so, so he had already started it. So he had been working on the project for like six or eight weeks or something like that. And it was mm -hmm. open. It was not open yet. So that was like yet. September. We opened in January. Okay. Um, we, oh man, we had nothing. Um, I bet. We really started from square one. Um, I, I want to talk yeah. about that part that you brushed by where you said I hiked the AT. I did do, do that. Through through hike to the whole thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How's South that? To north. Um, it was fun. Uh, so at that point I had, uh, I biked down the Pacific coast. I biked from Seattle to San Francisco. So I didn't do the Southern half. But I did that in, when I was 17. Oh, wow. Um, still a high schooler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still a high schooler. Just um, like in the summer? Just Yeah, that's why we didn't go all the way down because it was like, oh, just, like we don't have enough time. How long does it take? To do the whole – I don't know how long it took to do the whole West because we – I think we probably were like touring for six weeks or something. Like you ride that. on like the 101 or something? Or? Yeah, yeah, the one and the 101. And then all of the kind of dicey parts, they like route you around. Okay. Um, so was yeah, a group ride? Yeah, so uh, my friend Robert Fishman, uh, River Canise, his uh, little brother uh, Sequoia, 
we took the train out there. So we uh, we got a ride by our parents to Memphis, took the train from Memphis to Chicago, from Chicago, took the train to Seattle, got to Seattle, biked to a park, biked down this hill. Sequoia, the youngest guy that none of us really knew except River, was like, I'll do it faster. Bike down, went over the handlebars and like ripped his face off. Like, mm. like hit the ground on his face, like detached his whole, I'm not into mm. carnage, so I will like skim over this. Mm. Seer, like had to have surgery and stuff. First Dude, day, five minutes, you guys have been there. Five minutes. Like we had, we were on the train for like two days, get there within an hour. We're like in the hospital. And he was a Nashville guy too? Yeah, yeah. He was, uh, we all went to Hillsborough. Okay. Um, Did you take your bikes with you on the train? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you. It's it's better now. Uh, some of the trains you don't even have to put your bike in a box; you can just hang it up. But back then, like you had to take your bike like halfway apart. It's so annoying. Really? Yeah, I mean, traveling by the train, it seemed like really romantic, mm-hmm. like to my seventeen-year-old self. And it's fun. Everyone should do it, but no one should like do it twice. <laughs> yeah, I used to do the Amtrak from LA to San Diego every yeah. now and then, yeah, yeah, and yeah. that was fine. It's the overnight that's tough. It's is the it? overnight. Sleeper uh, cars or no? Dude, I was 17. Oh, yeah. You're sleeping in the Did seat. Did I have a sleeper car? You're no. sleeping in the seat. So, yeah. We, we had done a trip before when we were 15. Um, we biked down the Natchez Trace. This guy, Robert Fishman, and I sat next to each other in our last period, which was English. Uh, like, kind of had hit it off before that. We're just, like, friends. Um, and our, like, teacher, I think, was, like, real uh bored at that point like didn't really care that much about because of the last period of the day or maybe we didn't care it's, it's a blurry but um there's a lot of apathy going around in the last period in the last period there's a lot of apathy being tossed around yeah. so we just like need something to pass the time and we were both kind of biking at that point and i was like let's go on a bike trip i don't even know where we got that idea maybe it was robert's idea let's say it's robert's idea just to give it to him sure. um so like throughout the semester we were just planning this imagined totally imaginary bike trip uh, but we had talked about it for so long at this point. There was like, well, when are we going to go? And it was like, I guess like the first week of summer and like no idea what we were doing. Do we brought a slack line? Like, do you know how heavy a slack line is? Is it heavy? It's heavy. Yeah. It's like a tightrope basically yeah. that you can walk between. Yeah. Not, you don't want to have a lot of weight right. when you're like biking everything all, all day. Um, so yeah, totally like Gumby style. No idea what we were doing, but like, yeah, made it down to like Natchez, Mississippi from Nashville. It was like 440 something miles. How long does that take? A week? Yeah, like a week, something like that. Um, so how long is the trip from uh, Seattle to uh, San Francisco? I think it was like, I mean, again, this is a long time ago. This is more than 10 years so ago. So your buddy gets point. his face ripped off. Sequoia gets his face Literally ripped off. Literally rips his face off. Right. Uh, so and, and we had to, you guys are traumatized, I'm sure. We had to post up for a while. At the hospital? Just in Seattle. Yeah. Like waiting to like see like if they're going to put his face back on or not. Um, and I assume that you guys just have a backpack with you. Yeah, and yeah. A, and a bike. Less convenient. So you just have like these bags called paneers that you hang on your bike. So the, like, like you're just saddlebag looking, saddlebag looking thing. So you're carrying those around. Can't, oh, you don't even no. have shoulder straps. Ugh. Um, and, and then, so are these touring bikes at that point? Yeah. Yeah. So we all had touring bikes. And and so how are those different from regular street bikes or mountain bikes? Yeah, yeah, totally. So they're going to be a little bit more comfortable, like a little bit more ergonomic. You're not as like bent over right. because you're just sitting there all day. And then if you can imagine like the, the actual gauge of the tubing is a little thicker. Like on a road bike, it's all about being light. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because they're light, they're flexible. 
if mm. we're talking about steel. Um, yeah. So you, your bikes are just heavier and a little bit less aggressive, a, a bike term, but it kind of says what it is, a little yeah. bit less aggressive, a little bit more upright. And yeah, so when we were 15, like YOLO, whatever we had, sure. like uh, just like basically mom's hybrid. Yeah. But then we were into bikes at that point. So we had not fancy, but we had the right objects at that point. Yeah. And they have like a long, a long deal over the back tire, right? Yeah. Like you got a little... rack over the back tire. Oh. And then the back end of the bike is usually a little bit at that point. Now bikes are the whole geometry is totally different, but the rear wheel used to be a little bit farther back. So you have room for your big bags. Yeah. feels like they had sometimes a longer wheelbase. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They, you, they look like look this t- term you're throwing around a wheelbase. <laughs> this guy knows. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's advanced. Exactly. Right so they there. have a longer wheelbase. Okay. Yeah. I, I want to get one of those uh, for my kids with like room for both of them to ride on, oh. a, on a bench on the rack. Yeah. Like the, back. the surly big dummy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, the, is that what I want? Uh, the surly big dummy. I'm really into the kind of like Dutch style cargo bikes. Uh, so they have like a big basket. Cargo bike. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. 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 Setma cargo makes okay. a really cool. And uh, there's another one called Larry versus Harry. Okay. That's really, really cool. They're putting batteries in these things now too, right? Yeah. They're That's kind of outrageous. Yeah. Right. But then it's like, if you have like an e-assist, when it has a battery in it, people say e-assist, like, uh, you know, electric assist. Yeah. Um, you get an e-assist cargo bike. Now you just have like a really cheap car. Yeah. You get exactly. A, like, uh, that kind of feels like you're on a motorcycle. Yeah. They're sweet. Dude, I was down at the beach last year and just saw kids ripping 30, 40 miles an hour, not even pedaling. <laughs> yeah. No helmet. I'm like, please stop, dude. You're going to kill somebody I know. yourself. It's like uh, the uh, legality of it is all like it. they just haven't caught up yet. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, it's like these scooters you see downtown. They're back, man. The scooters are back. I know. I thought people throwing them all off the Gay Street Bridge or something. I know. It's like, I feel like Knoxville's relationship with the scooters is, is hot and cold. It's like they were here, they were gone. They were here, they were gone. And now they're back. I know. We're, 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 de- this is, does not feel like a relationship that's going to last. It really does. It feels like, like, you know, the, your friend's relationship where you break up and get back together 17 times and everyone's like, yeah, please, dude, come on. You got to tr- be better to yourself than that. <laughs> That's how Knoxville is with scooters. So it's all, I guess it's all lithium ion techno battery technology that made all this stuff popular when it was NICAD, nickel cadmium and all that was too heavy. Yeah. Right. But now you've got e-assist on pretty much any kind of bike. Yeah. At what point is it a motorcycle? I mean, I don't want people riding that stuff on the greenway. <laughs> you no, know what I mean? It's, man, it is such a hot topic in cycling. Is it? Uh, right now. My stance is that I love when people ride bicycles right um so i think that when people are really anti e-assist bikes it's kind of an ableist perspective because a lot of people just don't have the fitness or have some type of limitation that doesn't let them ride a bike around like you and i can so it's such an awesome opportunity to have you know people be able to experience the same joy that i feel riding a bike when otherwise maybe they couldn't yeah i felt that when when i first saw one i saw a guy riding his bike and i was like oh that's cool we were on the greenway down here at the marine park and uh, he was like, yeah, it's a guy, you know, got the electric assistant to get my fat ass up the hill. And I was yeah. like, well, that's great. That you're on a bike, hell man. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> like, I'm so stoked that yeah. you're getting up the hill now. Yeah, um, yeah so I, I'm for him, but it's complicated because it, the ESS mountain bikes are complicated because the trails are kind of fragile. Uh, mm. And like, 
there's a reason that motor, you know, like dirt bikes aren't allowed on mountain bike trails. They're just not designed for it. Right. Um, you know, all of these trails are being hand maintained a lot of the time by ANDC. It's like, dude, these are passionate volunteers going out and repairing damaged trails. Right. And you can really do some damage on a, like a powerful e-assist mountain bike. But if like, uh, if you do it responsibly, man, they're a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, pretty fun. <laughs> because they're heavy, too, so they go downhill super fast. Ah, yeah. So, I mean, just in general, they rip. That makes you know, decent sense. You just throttle your way up the hill, and then you fly down. It's a blast. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> so, camping is a big part of it, too, right? Of these of these trips that you do. Yeah, totally. That's so, so fun, man. Just was, nothing but, what'd you call the bags? What are they called? Yeah, panniers. Panniers. Um just a couple paneers. I just imagine like over your shoulders, like the Amish kid, you know, yeah. carrying a couple buckets of water. Yeah. Just with your <laughs> friend, just a couple of friends spending all day riding bikes and sweating. And we were really like the whole game in high school for us. And then into college and until, uh, basically, I think I still feel this way. It's like no hotels. Like that's uh, the rule of the game. Yeah. Like now if you stumble into someone's house that will let you sleep there, mm-hmm. green light, that's fine. Okay. But like, you can't pay to stay anywhere. Right. It's just like a silly game that we played. So, yeah, I think like, I don't know, it's <laughs> on the West Coast trip that I think it was many weeks, less than two months. I think like we had like maybe two proper showers. We nice. Were, like, you know, bathing in streams and rivers. Yeah, like we're staying can, clean, counts. staying clean ish. But yeah, no, no hotels. Now I've, I've adapted. So that so that took how long the trip down the west coast? Something like six weeks, something like that. Dude, that's so awesome. Yeah, and then the big one was uh, Robert and I uh, went down to the Mexican American border and mm-hmm. then rode uh, like basically like dirt and gravel roads up to Banff, Canada. That was a big so one. We started at the southern at the southern. Yeah, so we started uh, exactly just a, like we flew to El Paso. Mm. Uh, Cut our cut the boxes open, put our bikes together, like you know where everyone's like getting like Ubering to get to wherever. Getting picked up. Getting yeah. picked up. We're putting our bikes together right there. Yeah. And then we bike to the Mexican American border. Uh take a selfie. Take a selfie. <laughs> I don't even think the term selfie was like really even around yet. Okay. Uh yeah, I was doing all this with 35 millimeter film cameras. Nice. Uh, yeah, Canon AE1 program. It's a great camera. Yeah. I would uh, shoot them for a year and then I would break it because I would take it on all these trips. Throw it away and get another one. I went through like five. Film cameras are so cheap. Yeah, not expensive. Yeah. Not expensive at all. So I think, yeah, and then uh, rode all the way through the desert, all the way along. And you, the whole game was to get as like the highest elevation possible. She so was wow. taking the ridge of the Rocky Mountains. It's never flat. Zero flat. And then ended up up in Canada. And uh, my twin brother, Spencer, uh, and my friend Lane met us like halfway. And then they biked with us. Lane biked with us through the Tetons. And then he bailed uh, to... Now he's like a works in uh, a tech. He probably had some like cool tech job that he was going to. <laughs> Dude, that's amazing though to ride the entire the height of the United States of America. Yeah, bottom to top. How long did that take? Summer. That was ten weeks. That was ten um, weeks. Yeah, that's not as long as I would have thought. I think it's like three thousand something miles. Wow, um, lots of uh, lots of elevation too. Lots of elevation went, went through the Tetons. Yes, yeah, so, so much elevation. Took a bath in the Snake River. Dude, for sure. <laughs> so, it sounds like so much fun, man. It was a blast. It was, I mean, I feel incredibly fortunate that I stumbled into bikes. And then at the same time that I stumbled into bicycles, I also like met this in- 
incredible, made this incredible group of friends. Uh, my friend Lane, my brother Spencer, and my friend Robert, among some other people. But we still go on a trip like every year. Uh, we've been doing it since we were like 15. Is that what you guys do for for fun to, to catch up with the get the band back together and literally yeah yeah we did uh this trip called the idaho hot springs loop like a, a little bit more than a year ago where we linked up like 25 hot springs uh around you know in, in idaho on all of these like dirt roads i didn't think there'd be 25 hot springs in the whole state dude there's so many there's so that's awesome many. yeah there's your bath oh we bathed so much on that trip <laughs> <laughs> so much bathing going on what <laughs> What's your uh, what's your craziest trip you've done so far? Uh, so I think, I mean, it depends on like, what are your parameters for crazy? I don't know. What was like, the toughest one? I did this trip with my friend Andy uh, called the Wind River High Route. This is like a backpacking trip. So it's in the winds. Um, and you hike, we hiked like 17 miles along this trail and then just abruptly turned off trail. And then just like orienteered off trail through this alpine environment for like 10 days. This was backpacking. Backpacking. Um, but all orienteering, all off trail, just connecting, uh, you know, different ridges, um, just cruising over glaciers. Um, that one was, it was just, that one was the gnarliest for sure. It was the highest consequence. That was like, if something went wrong, the stakes were high. there was no one. There was just no one around. No one's going to find you. That one felt high consequence at least did you have gps or satellite phone or anything like that i had a map andy though andy had an iphone that he had guy gps downloaded on and then whenever i was not confident with our orienteering he would like definitely like get out his phone and try and like piece it together mm. but it's not like we were following like a red dotted line or something um what if something went wrong uh didn't have a plan i mean if you the you just plan. I mean, you prep, you like make sure you're going in the right direction and uh, you figure out what to do if something goes wrong. I mean, the fortunate thing is like once you've done enough of these trips, you start feeling confident. So then mm -hmm. you can start, you're like, oh, I need to carry a splint if my arm breaks. And then you're like, well, my arm's probably not going to break. Yeah. And then if it does break, like I can just throw something together using some like tape that I carry and like some sticks. It's like, you just don't like the stuff you're always afraid of. In my experience, it just doesn't really happen. Like your bike explodes. That happens. Like your wheel fails. But then it's kind of awesome because then you just hitchhike to the next town and then you're ahead of all your friends. So then you just like <laughs> get to hang out in the bar and hang out with the locals for a couple of days until your friends catch up. It's great. Yeah. Like catastrophic bike failures when you've been biking every day for six weeks are like the best. <laughs> yeah. My buddy, Mike Fairman, you know him? Mm -mm. He, uh, he did some of the five 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 or five fifty five forget what they how they call it, the the motorcycle rides oh sweet you buy a motorcycle for less than five hundred dollars and you oh like the i know there's the gamble 500 that i've heard of yeah this was something i think eric olgren put it on the dude that owns public house that tracks all, all, all that stuff yeah he uh also i think is a co-owner of tvb that bike shop over there yeah yeah, yeah. i think that's right that dude's a homie he's really cool i yeah. like kind of find him intimidating yeah he's, he's just like he's tall too it's not even that he's tall he just like I feel like all of the things that I'm interested in, uh, like bike shop stuff, woodworking, uh, like general, like mechanics. He's like mastered all yeah. of them. He's already, he's already, he's mastered them, started a business and sold the business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, I just have nothing to contribute to this conversation. Yeah. Like, you right. know, every, you have no questions for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just trying to keep up. My buddy Mike has ridden it, 
he's done those, those five, five, five bike rides and all that, um, motorcycle rides. But, uh, one ride he did, he went into, he went into Mexico or yeah, he went all the way through Mexico, Latin America into South America. I'm not sure if he made it all the way. I, I don't know how far he made it, but some of the stories he told about his bike breaking yeah. are the most amazing. The, that the, That's worth taking the trip is to break your bike yeah. and to find someone to machine a part for you. you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. In, in a village that has one blacksmith and, and you know. Oh, that's so cool. No running water. It really is. Like, uh, you know, it ends up being the memorable stuff is the really intense stuff. Uh, like the worst days end up being the best stories. So it's like, you kind of like, if you do a whole trip and it all goes according to plan, it's like totally boring. Yeah. You, you, you don't want that. Yeah. You need, you need somebody some, to rip their face off. You first need someone thing. to rip their face off. First thing. Um, do you have oh, any other, man. uh, do you have any fun trips coming up? Well, I mean, it's tough cause it's well, the pandemic. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then what about when you started at dream bikes and all that, did, did having this job at a nonprofit that needed your attention, did that, uh, can you still take a month off and go, go do stuff? Or is it like, Oh, I got a big boy job now. I got a, <laughs> uh, bike shop jobs, no matter how hard you try are never quite big boy jobs. I like um, it. So I, in one, on one hand, like, am I going to do any more like major through hikes? Like I think hiking the AT took me like four and a half months. Like that's probably not that my deck of cards anymore as an executive director of a small nonprofit. Right. But like, I've just pivoted and found other ways to get after it. Hmm. Uh, I'm really into this style of trip that people call an S240, which is short for a sub 24 hour overnight. So the idea is like either like on a Friday, maybe after work or on like a Tuesday, uh, you bring your bike to work. You have all of your stuff. You bring all your camping gear. And at this point, I don't even carry that much stuff. Like I've got it pretty lean down. Uh, Get off work, bike to a place to camp set up camp, drink some beers, do your thing. And then in the morning, bike back and go back to work. So the whole idea is like kind of taking these big grandiose trips and then scaling them down to something that is kind of a no brainer, no sweat. Yeah. It's like the, the yeah, it's the, the, the businessman's, uh, the businessman's trip. Yeah. The, the, the working man's But trip. then it doesn't even feel like it's not, doesn't even feel like a, this big compromise. You still get to have this amazing experience. Uh, albeit if something goes catastrophically wrong, you probably would just like, call your partner or be like, Hey, somebody just pick me up. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to, I don't need a blacksmith usually if I'm 10 yeah. miles, but <laughs> there's a spot in town called Brown bike farm. Have you heard about uh-uh. it? Um, it's sweet. So it's down uh Burnett Creek road, which is a super beautiful road in South Knoxville. It's a great ride. Uh, I think it's like eight miles from the bike shop. Um, and you can just like reserve a campsite. It's this like really nice field with like a stream in it. Uh, so yeah, me and, uh, whoever's working at the bike shop at the time, we'll, uh, you know, pack up our bags, be like, Hey, let's go to Brown bike tonight, go bike down there, have a big fire, have a party with our friends and then bike back in the morning. It's awesome. And go to work, go to work. <laughs> it's so awesome. It's super fun. Um, what are some other hidden gems like that, that, that around here? Yeah. So one thing that we do, um, that I love is we host these events called coffee outside, um, we usually do them on Thursdays. Um, we do one a month. We all meet up at old city Java, uh, Sean and Meg spot in the old city. There's usually like 10 of us. We'll bring all of our camp cooking gear. Um, you know, like your little camp stove and a pot and some water. We all bike to forks of the river. You ever go over there? Mm-hmm. The uh, WMA, the wild. Yeah. yeah. You know, like yeah. that silo that's yeah. over there. There's like this beautiful little spot. 
uh, and then we all set up our like camp cooking, boil water, make coffee just in the field. Mm-hmm. And then just like all hang out and drink coffee. This is like 8 a.m. on a, you know, Thursday. How fun. And then bike back into town. We all go to work. That's just, so fun. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Forks, Forks River is underrated. Um, Agreed. It's so incredibly beautiful back there. And as long as you coordinate it around like the hunting seasons and like even through the hunting seasons, there's usually like a day or two that like hunting is off limits. You can go walk around. Um, there's a cypress grove back there, which is really cool. Yeah. Forks River. Underrated. Gym. Okay. A gem. Also, I would argue that Sharps Ridge, um, a trail system that's in North Knoxville along along the ridge. If you look north in Knoxville, you see like three or four radio towers. That's Sharps yeah. Ridge. It's awesome trails back there. Ton of uh, trillium blooming right mm-hmm. now. Um, yeah, I was walking around um, back there yesterday and found a ton of wild ginger. Like it's pretty cool. Yeah, Sharps Ridge. Did you harvest it? No, it's like. Uh, no, the answer is no. I mean, I if I find a bunch, sometimes I'll harvest it. Yeah. Um, but usually, like let in some grow. spots, it's I just try and let it grow. The cool yeah. stuff, I'll just leave it. But um, yeah, man, what do you think? You got any spots in Knoxville that you think are underrated? Oh no, no, <laughs> I can't think of any off the top. How of about my head. how about businesses? What what spot do you think is underrated in town, or just something? La Esperanza. Dude, I used to live on a Dare Avenue. I used to live one block from La Esperanza. <laughs> Dude, that place is like smoking hot. That is the best place. Yes, in town, it La is. Esperanza. Great answer. <laughs> I'm. I think also, twice as much of you now. Marie's not a big Marie's guy. Yeah, I just don't rage hard enough for Marie's. I don't yeah. usually feel like. I'll, well, I'm a Wednesday night Marie's guy. What's What's Wednesday night? It's karaoke night. Oh, uh, what's your go to when, when the When the college kids aren't there. Smart. Uh, Conway Twitty. Go with some Conway okay. Twitty. Okay. Some Paul Simon, maybe. <laughs> uh, see. How many times have you sung Graceland? Uh, I, I haven't. No, I'm it's huge. Yeah, I'm, I'm more of a uh, more of a uh, Fifty Ways to Leave Your Lover guy. Yeah, there you go. Um, what else we got? Uh, uh, Stevie Wonder. I wish. Okay. I got to drop it down a half a key though. Oh, tough. Yeah. I yeah. don't know if that's tough or not, but it sounds tough. <laughs> no, it's tough if you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, we used to I don't know what happened. Do does your Spotify ever just like uh feel like it's sabotaging itself? Like it just recommends the worst songs over and over again? Uh yeah, it played something just absolutely horrible the other day and I was like, this is this is this me? Is this yeah. is this what this AI <laughs> thinks I am? I we like and the the bike shops Spotify account is like really confused. Like ah, it's really confusing because different people are in there running the yeah exactly. But somehow it like always ended up playing Graceland by Paul Simon. Okay, and I'm not I don't love that song, uh, but it became like a running gag where uh, it was kind of like that. What's the song? Never gonna let you down. Never gonna let you yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, Rick Roll like, the Rick Roll yeah, thing. Yeah, like our version of getting Rick Rolled was being Gracelanded. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Dig it. Be like, oh, yeah. Like, I, I just heard this cool new song. Check it out. Graceland. <laughs> Which is obvious, I guess, why Spotify ended up thinking that we loved that song. <laughs> because we, we, because we smeared off iced each other with we it all the time. We <laughs> were icing each other with Graceland on the regular. Uh, you know Bobby Fisher? Yeah, for sure. That dude's kind of a legend, right? Yeah. In the bike world. But that's yeah, yeah. different than than... It was a BMX. Is that what he did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like a whole. There's so many like subdisciplines in in uh, like bicycling. Like, do you know Greg Lamond? Uh-uh. It's like the like 
the greatest American cyclist of all time. Okay. Uh, and now he's opening, like, there's this huge, con- like, this huge scandal in cycling around, uh, like, the relationship between Lance Armstrong and Greg LeMond. That's like a can of worms, and I'm probably not the best person to explain it. But, like, he's having a renaissance right now and just opened a new uh, bicycle manufacturing company in Knoxville. Really? Uh, yeah. What kind, of, what kind of cycling did he do? The same? Yeah, same thing. He uh, is the only uh, – ooh, can I say this? Uh, also, like, just some preface for any type of, like, uh, huge bike nerd that's listening to this. Uh, like, the history – like, for me, a bike is a tool. Like, I'm passionate about the history of uh, cycling as utility. So, like, racing bikes – like, if you're, like – Name your favorite three French cyclists. I'm like, dude, I, I literally couldn't care less. But if you want to talk about like my favorite derailleur hanger alignment tool, like I've got opinions. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that Greg LeMond is the only American cyclist to have like won the Tour de France um, besides Lance Armstrong, yeah. who had all of his medals taken away. Yeah. Because he was a little doper. Yeah. And that's that was the uh, scandal with Greg LeMond. He was like, yo, Lance Armstrong is definitely doping. Really? And Lance Armstrong was like, I will ruin your life. If you keep saying this and then he proceeded to ruin that guy's life. Really? Turns out he was doping. And now Greg LeMond's on the up and up uh, and started an e-bike company in Knoxville, making these like really uh, beautiful high end e-assist bikes. They're super cool. Are we going to are we going to be the bike place? I mean, we feel like the bike place. The thing is, is we already are. Yeah. Like it just like people just haven't caught up yet. Like when people realize that the mountain biking in Knoxville is better than the mountain biking in Boulder, Colorado. And you can buy a house here for like a third, the price, a third, maybe a quarter of the price. Like people will swarm here it, yeah. and it is starting to happen. Uh, you know, that street Phillips, like next to Alliance Brewing company over there, yeah. there's like a ground up house that was built over there. That is half a million dollars. It just like went on the market. And I was like, well, I remember when I graduated college being like, Oh man, if I could just have, $75,000. I could buy a house on Phillips, yeah, exactly. like a beautiful historic house. Yeah. And now they're like half a million. Well, at Ooh. least if it does attract the mountain biking crowd, at least it'll attract cool folks. People doing cool stuff. People getting Decent out there. People. people being active. Um, yeah. People are contributing. As long as people are contributing to the community and taking care of each other, I'm happy. I dig it, dude. Yeah, man. Man, I'm so excited to, uh, to meet you, to have had you and yeah. to, uh, I'm excited to go take one of your classes for sure. Yeah, man. Absolutely. And uh, we're excited, uh, you know, to be able to get more people in Knoxville out on a bike um, in whatever way. So, yeah. Um, so the shop opens up um, the third, which is uh, the upcoming Saturday. So it'll already be open when this uh, gets published. Yeah, which will be, I think, the fifth is when this drops. Yep. So um, we'll be there Tuesday to Friday from 10 until 4 and Saturday 10 until 6. Do you um, have any uh, ribbon cutting, grand opening, open house? Or are you guys going to soft open it for a while or open it and then come do something down the road? Exactly. So we're uh, we're we're keeping it relaxed, um, trying to be super responsible, recognize the fact that there's a global pandemic that I'm really, my fingers crossed so that like, you know, it's the downward slope that it's all, it's all winding down. So super fingers crossed there. And hopefully we can throw a big block party and do something that's super fun and have, you know, and super responsible (laughs) and super responsible down, down the road. Um, so we will definitely, uh, we will definitely announce it in a broader kind of with more fanfare, but for now, we're just going to open and uh, try and make sure that people can get bikes um, at a price that's reasonable for them. Awesome. I got one more question. 
Cool. Uh, that mural that Curtis Glover did with the family bicycling on it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Did you guys have anything to do with that? Or was it just because I always thought that that was like your guy's mural because it was, <laughs> you could see it from the dream bike store. Yeah. Because of, I'm driving by dream bikes and I'm seeing a big, uh, big no. backing. Okay. Uh, so we had nothing to do with that mural. Um, I don't, I have, I don't know if this is true, but I've heard that that's a family of the, uh, person who owns the building. Ah, okay. Um, could just be rumor could mm-hmm. be true. What I will say about it is that Curtis, uh, artists in general, people in general really struggle portraying bikes. Drawing mm. a bike is really hard. Have you ever ah, played this game? No. So try and draw a bike on your notebook right now. Okay. Um, and then while you're doing this, uh, I will say that that Curtis's rendering of a bicycle is so incredibly accurate. He really, really nailed it. Yeah. Like even the details of like, uh, like the fork, like it is a suspension fork on it. And the linkage uh, is really, really accurate and nicely done. Curtis is incredibly talented. He's good. The guy's good. He's really good. He's really good. Yeah. He's All been right. on here a couple of times. So now give me this and let, I'll, I'll draw you a bike and we can uh, compare and contrast. Okay. And I can show you. Oh, yours is pretty good. Yours is pretty good. <laughs> it looks terrible. What no, are you no, no. It's pretty accurate. Um. So your wheels, see, usually it's like not, it has no resemblance to a bicycle. People can't figure out like it doesn't, it's not a functional object. So if we look at yours, your fork, which is what holds the front wheel, (laughs) that wouldn't work because there's no axle, like there's no way to turn it. Okay. You know, you kind of just do this kind of parallel. That's the chain down there. Oh, I got your chain. It was chain. (laughs) But the like front end of your, the, the rear half of your bike tracks okay. very accurate okay but the front end of your bike is an imaginary object it doesn't okay. work okay. no so and this is my point no one can do it. it's like a fun game that you can play with people. but curtis did a good job yeah and i mean he had a photograph for sure that he was working on but just like the level of detail in his rendering is great yeah it's really really good it's also a couple friendly dogs in there probably the guy on the mountain bike's daughters are on there yeah it's big it's huge so that's a big mural i think it's finally done is it? I think Dude, so. Dude, I want to know what the, I want to get into the renting Curtis Glover cherry pickers business. Yes. Because exactly. Like, what's the, I saw that thing sit there for months. A year. Yeah. So yeah. it's been there for so long. Have you seen, uh, have you gone by our new facade? No. Check it out. Can we so see we it? just, uh, yeah. So my friend, uh, Meg runs this company called mm-hmm. I saw the sign. She's a traditional sign painter. Love it. Um, so she came in and just like hand painted. Uh, I looked over, but I realized there's computers and all sorts of stuff over there. Um, yeah. Uh, That's great. She hand painted our facade and did some sign painting inside too. It's so sick. It's good. Man, that looks great. I can't wait. It's gonna. It's such an addition to the block too. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It's yeah. really a community effort. I feel really, uh, really thankful. My friends, Jane Elizabeth, who run uh, Little Rabbit, uh, they're contractors. They did all of our cabinetry work inside. So, like, it's incredibly nice. My so friends, everybody showed up. To, everyone for this. showed up. My friends, Lauren and Erica who work, uh, I forget the name of the welding studio, but they work over at Ironwood studio. Yeah. Uh, they welded up these custom bike racks for us that are awesome. My friend Meg from, I saw the sign in Nashville painted our facade. Uh, my friend's neighbor Sterling, uh, painted the blue. Uh, I mean, I am so thankful to have amazing friends, mostly from art school that <laughs> like I got a minor in studio art that, are now like successful small business owners and operators that 
helped us out, man. Well, it's great. And when you're doing something as awesome as you guys are doing, that's helping the community, it's pushing things forward. People don't mind helping. You yeah. were a self-serving endeavor that was just there to make you money. People might not show up with uh, yeah. with the paintbrush. I think I think that I think that that's true. Yeah. I think that's true. But yeah, people are really on board. The community's been super supportive, and and anyone that's listening, um, if anyone's wondering the best way they can help, the thing that we're really looking for right now in the spring are bike donations. If okay. you if you're doing some spring cleaning, um, if you have a bike in the garage that that needs some love, either one that you need tuned up or just that you're not riding anymore, if you donate that to our nonprofit, it's a tax deductible donation. We have all the paperwork on hand. That is tremendously helpful to okay. us right now um, because we just uh, we're we can't keep up uh, with the number of people with the number of bikes that we want to give away. Right. And the number of bikes that people uh, want to buy for an affordable price. So we need bikes right now for sure. OK, That's a super great way to help. We'll get people on it. I'll mention that in the intro, too. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> Love it, dude. Thank you so much for doing it. Hey, I appreciate absolutely. it a lot. Yeah, man. Thanks for the kombucha. You got it. <laughs> Take care. Cool. guys thanks for being here thanks for listening follow us on instagram go to the patreon thing if you want to uh, support the podcast we'd appreciate that that helps us keep the lights on take care of one another take care of this town we love you all pitch wire play me out